Reformed Church. You know, there, there's been so many things um, that have been so good about the series that Pastor Mike is teaching, and I want to just point out one of the things. Um, I shared a little bit, just a tiny bit about this during my message on Sunday. And, you know, I, I had taught, I'm not going to give you the whole backstory, but there was a time, you know, where I was, where I actually knew where my money was going, right? Because I tracked it, all of it. Like, it's not like some of it. Like, I've always, I've always tracked, always tracked my bills. Like, I know what I have to pay and I know when it's due because we pay our bills on time. But, but uh, I, I, I used to track where all my money went so that we understand where it's going, right? Um, but there was some misunderstandings in my mind, some bad thinking from, my gosh, like 25 years ago. Um, and I stopped tracking my money. And it was, you know, if we wanted to do something, we did it. And, and my big thing, I'm going to tell you this, I, and I, I have lots of room to grow, right? I do not like saying no to my family. I don't like saying no to my family for anything at all, ever. I just don't like saying no, right? So if we're going to do something, let's do it. <laughs> I'm thinking about a comedian that says, Daddy, work it out. But, but anyway, that's a different joke. But, um, but it, it was it's just a thing, right? I, I don't like saying no. So, but what happened is, um, I don't know how long it's been now, how many months it's been. It's been a good, I don't know, I, I, I want to guess maybe five months or so, that um, I said, you know, we have to start tracking where our money's going because I wasn't able to save like I really wanted to. And I'm like, my pay's going up, not down. And how am I not able to save as much as I want to, right? And, and we can say, well, it's because we're putting more money into the church, right? Because we have to make up differences and stuff. And, but even with that aside, um, I just started doing that again. And it is funny, and I'm going to tell you, and, and then I'll stop here. But one of the things that Pastor Mike was talking about is that, you know, you, you ask for the Lord to prosper, and then the Lord's prospering you, but you feel like, even though he's prospering you, you're still not saving anything. You're still not making ends meet, whatever it is, right? You just whine and whine and whine in your mind to yourself about how, how hard it is financially, but yet you don't track where your money's going. You have no idea. Like, and believe me, if you came up to me uh, 10 months ago and you said to me, Pastor, say, do you know where your money's going? Of course I know where my money's going. I would have said that to you. But, you, but really, you don't, right? I, I, and, and I just I encourage you to do this, right? Um, we, we took... I took an Excel spreadsheet, which is how the easiest way that I find to do it. And um, I put everything that I want to spend, including, you know, if we want to go out to eat, I put it there. If we want to rent a video, I put it there. Like, I actually have a budget for things that we want to do. And then now the person that doesn't like saying no, and like I said, I'm not saying this is right from that perspective. You should be able to say no when it's appropriate to say no. But uh, when your family that you love says, oh, can we do this? Okay, yeah, let's do it, right? So... What, but what I found was that if you, if, if we know all together as a family that when we say, no, we're not going to do this, it's not because we don't have the money to do it. It's because we want to put it in the savings account, right? We, we want to grow our finances, right? So now, all of a sudden, I don't have a problem saying no because I, I'm not saying no, we don't, we're not going to do it because we don't have the money to do it. It's no, we're not going to do it because, we remember, we want to keep putting money in our savings account. And, and for I don't even know how many months in a row, it's been, I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you these figures not to say anything about our finances because, again, a lot of this money goes back into the church on a monthly basis. But even doing that, even putting in an additional five to $700 a month into the mortgage above our regular giving to the church, which is not small, right? I'm still able to put into our savings account five to $700 a month, right? 
And, and that's it, on top of all the other stuff that's going on. And then on top of that, right, with this is tax season and stuff starts happening and you get a little refund here and there, right, our plan is to pay off two main bills that we have, which, which free, paying those two things off will free up probably another five to $700 a month, right? So it's just, it's just, I just want to tell you, prior to doing that, right? Again, one of the points that Pastor Mike made is that you ask God to prosper you, and then he prospers you, and then you just keep spending and spending. The more money you make, the more you spend. But if you just cut back a little bit and you say, listen, we have money, but we just want to track where it's going. Imagine what would happen if you stopped eating out for one month. Just stop eating out. Eat at home. You're going to go out, make a sandwich, and put it in a bag. I wonder what that would do to your finances. And you look, well, I don't spend that much money. You don't know where your money's going. If you say to yourself, you know what, when we eat, we're going to eat at home like regular people, right? Just go home and eat. That's why you have food. Open the fridge and eat the stuff that's in there, right, that you end up throwing out half of it because you don't eat it, right? Eat the stuff that you have in there. Imagine what a difference that would make to your finances. You would actually see that you would be able to start saving money, paying off bills, pay off your smallest one, like Pastor Mike's been talking about, right? Pay off your smallest one. After you pay off the smallest one, pay off the next one then pay off the next one and roll up the money that you've been now saving every month and then pay off the next one. And by the time you know it, you are in debt then to no man, right? So in, in, in uh, uh, we'll, we'll really stop here. In, that, in a little bit of time here, we will be completely debt-free apart from our mortgage, and I want to pay that thing off soon too. If we can pay off all the money that we've been saving a month and roll that into our mortgage and keep going, to be, you know how beautiful that would be? That your paycheck can come, right? And it can even come late, and you're not screaming at anybody. It's like, fine. You're, like, you're not waiting for the check to come in in order to be able to just keep having money in the bank and doing stuff. I, I just encourage you to do that. Track where your money is going, right? It's not to be a good steward so that the Lord will bless you. It's so that you can use what the Lord's already blessed you with financially, right? The power to wealth that he's given you, and that's working in your life, but you don't notice it because you're spending too much, right? So just a little something. <laughs> You know, it's actually really good because um, a while ago when Pastor Day was telling me this, um, he was telling me the difference between just like budgeting and again, he was telling you the Excel spreadsheet that he just basically now keeps track of everything and just having a budget and keeping track of things and just managing because just so you know, if you want to know the message where I was referring to a lot of this, um, one particular one, the main one really was called Power to Wealth, the, uh, the Wisdom to Manage It. Um, so re-listen to that if you don't really remember that very well, because that's the one he's referring to. Um, and um, he was just telling me about the fact, like, you know, you, over here, you're like, okay, do we have enough money this particular month to pay for all the church stuff? Because, you know, he said five to 700, which is probably maybe on an average, maybe somewhat true. But, you know, I mean, just this past month, they, they paid $1,000 uh, for, for a single month of this church. So the, the thing is, there's those times where it's like, okay, we got to spend $1,000 this month on church, and uh, I get on top of their already, they're all, they're, they're, they're giving, and went from that to like, okay, let's see kind of where this comes from, to now he's actually has extra money to save, and it was just because of keeping track and managing what he had, and you know, the example I gave even in that message with Joseph was um, that God actually gave Joseph extra wealth in the years of plenty to cover him for the years of famine. But, you know, God also gave him the wisdom to manage that because if you imagine, 
you know, if he did not prepare ahead of time the wealth, and again, this is not silly stuff, right? This is, not, this is a God thing. This is a new covenant God thing. This is a thing that Jesus provided us. Christ is to us wisdom. And, and Jesus gave Joseph wisdom to be able to manage the thing, the wealth that he had prospered him in, so that he actually saved and prepared for an inevitable famine that was coming, and then prospered in famine when, you know, all the earth around him wasn't prospering. So again, it's, it's, it's both. It's God multiplying your goods, as the Bible says that he'll make you plenteous in goods, and multiplying your silver and your gold and all of your possessions, like Deuteronomy 8 says. But it's also the wisdom to manage it, because if it's coming in and then just going out, you know what? Again, you really, like Pastor said, you really don't realize how much you end up spending when you don't have, when you don't keep track of actually what you're spending. A little here, a little there, a little here, a little there. And you, you think like at the time, well, it's just a $5 purchase. But you, when you say it's just a $5, it's just a $10, just a $20 purchase over and over again, and then another few days or a week goes by and you make another one of those purchases and then another and another and another, before you know it, in one month you spent hundreds of dollars that you weren't even planning on spending. And like Joseph, God could have already given you the money ahead of time, necessary to pay that thing that he knows is inevitably coming in your life. Because there will inevitably be things. The car will break down, okay? The car will break down. Uh, the roof will leak, whatever it is. That's inevitable. But you see, when God has already given you the money for it, like sometimes we think, oh, I don't have the money. But you actually do have the money. A lot of times, I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying, but a lot of us probably do have the money. And God's actually ahead of time already given you the money, but without wisdom to manage it, it was spent on something else because we didn't maybe have the foresight. And, you know, I even said this in that message, and I'll kind of stop with this just so we can move on to other points. But um, even debt, people say, oh, I have to go into debt for this. I have to go into debt for that. And you know what? If you're going to buy a house or whatever and you have a mortgage, it's, it's one thing. But a lot of debt, though, is just lack of foresight. Because, like I said, what we end up doing, what debt is, is paying on the back end what you didn't prepare for on the front end a lot of times. That's what it is. Because if I can afford a, a, a monthly payment to pay a creditor for something after the fact every month, that means I have that money to have paid it beforehand. And with a little bit of foresight, I could have taken 12 months, 18 months before the purchase to prepare, put that money away, and then now paid cash for something. And you, you realize, oh, hey, I actually have the money. And so there's a lot of really easy wisdom, a lot of uh, easy things to, to manage our money better. And like Pastor Jose said, I think we all have room to grow in the wisdom of God, obviously. I don't think any of us here, including myself, is saying, like, oh, we don't have room to grow in those areas. But that's part of the manifestation of God to prosper you financially is, is the wisdom to be able to manage these things. Um, so anyway, just a lot of good points. And when Pastor Jose had mentioned that to me, actually, probably a month ago or so by now, um, I told myself, oh, you know, one of these days it would be cool for you to share that because um, it, it makes a difference. He said he would have told you that he didn't have the money for certain things back then, and you keep track of it, you manage it, and you're like, hey, I didn't realize the Lord had already prospered me with enough to pay $1,000 some months for the church's expenses to make up for, you know, the mortgage and everything, plus all the things that he has to pay for, plus extra to save. He probably wouldn't have told you that he had enough money for those things previously, so that's an awesome thing. It's an awesome, awesome testimony to just the fact that the Lord can give you that wisdom. So anyway, it's just good advice and stuff. Um, all right, let me see. All right, so let me just start with uh, last week. We were talking about uh, the subtitle of last week was, was uh, God doesn't like poverty, right? My main point last week was just to deter our minds from this notion that poverty is somehow something that God looks upon fondly as far as monetary poverty. And the reason why I would say that 
is one, just because it's true, right? That God does not look at poverty and ever think that that's a good thing. To be impoverished is never a good thing. Let me, let me name a few things. It's not a good thing. It's not a humble thing. It does, you're not more humble because you have less money. You could be the most prideful person in the whole world and have no money. And you could be the most humble man on earth, like Moses was, and be the leader of a very wealthy nation. That's what the Bible says. That, I think it's in the book of Numbers. That Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And he had just gotten done plundering the Egyptians, and God was multi- going to multiply their, the, the, the nation's wealth in the future as well. But So humility or pride has to do with your mind, not to do with your neglect of yourself externally. Right? That just has the appearance of wisdom. You can throw this up there behind me, if, if you will. Um, this is uh, uh, Colossians 2.23, um, New King James Version. Colossians 2.23 in the New King James Version. Um, this is sort of like fake humility, where it just has the appearance of wisdom, um, the appearance of wisdom in self-imposed or voluntary religion. In other words, something that God didn't tell you to do, but you just do because it's just you did it of your own volition, right? There's a lot of stuff that people do. Again, I mentioned even, you know, I'm not against Catholics, obviously. Uh, uh, I'm not against anybody, um, but in, with Catholicism, even a lot of people that would call themselves evangelical Christians or Regardless of what you name yourself, that's not the point. God doesn't care what you call yourself. You can call yourself a Catholic and be saved. You can call yourself a Satanist and be saved as long as you believe in Jesus and your belief is according to Scripture. You may be offended by that, but you know, I would be stupid to call yourself a Satanist because that wouldn't make sense. But the name matters at nothing at all. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to say, what do you call yourself? He's going to say, what do you believe? The Bible says, it says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith in the earth? Now, obviously, again, you'll be dumb to label yourself incorrectly, but God cares about what's in your brain, right? He cares about what you believe. And if you believe on his Son, um, etc. So, um, with all that said, self-imposed religion there, he's just talking about uh, things that you do that God never told you to do. You just do it because it's religious. You know, you just do it because, well, does the Bible say to confess your sins to a priest? No. Actually, the Bible says quite the contrary, that Jesus is our high priest and that, you know, there's no mediator except, but, you know, between God and man except the man Jesus Christ. Uh, but we make things up sometimes because they look godly. We wear certain clothes. We wear robes. We do this whole, we do... Uh, these various different traditions and things like that. So he's talking about self-imposed religion is one thing that definitely looks, it looks like it's wise. Uh, this says false humility. That word false is italicized. If you were to actually read that in your Bible, it's italicized. Um, but uh, humility and neglect of the body. In other words, all these things have the appearance of religion, the appearance of humility. And when you neglect yourself and you deprive yourself, and the reason why I was using that verse is because um, there's sort of a parallel to this. And poverty being, you know, neglect of myself. You know, oh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to have any money or I'm going to have very little money. And somehow that does look humble to us. And even if we ourselves would never do that ourselves and we say, well, that would be silly, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to be poor here. A lot of us, though, if you see a poor person, you actually look at that as sometimes uh, that there is something humble about that, especially when it's self-imposed. When, when someone's poor or someone has very, very little, we see, we see that as something that's like, wow, like, 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 like that's, a, that's a great godly thing. And you, I'm sure even a lot of us can sort of almost relate to that. If you see a pastor, you see a preacher. Now, I'm again, I'm, I'm not against, I'm, I am totally against the, uh, the, the, the pastors and preachers that have just, the word swindled the church um, and do things for gain. And that is entirely ungodly. At the same time, though, you see a pastor or a preacher, you see just a person, you see some kind of figure and they have very little money. And the assumption kind of in our mind sometimes is like, oh, that's, that's humble. That's godly. Um, but poverty is, is, is not humility. Um, go to Romans 12.3 real quick. Um, humility 
is in your mind, and humility is simply, as this verse says, Romans 12, 3, I'll just read it to you. It says, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That is humility. Uh, the word humble, really, in the Bible, um, Greek or Hebrew, I believe, um, is really just referring to like lowliness. When you have a low opinion of yourself and your own works, right? I'm not saying a low opinion of yourself in Christ, but when you have a low opinion of your own works, that's humility. And that's what this is talking about. And in monetary poverty does not make you more humble or more godly in any such way, okay? In fact, the thing that I will, I will bring you to, uh, we are going to end up in Deuteronomy. But you read these verses, though, which I was trying to correct last week. You read these verses where the Bible talks about the poor very fondly. And then you kind of you look at that, and, and I think that's where a lot of Christians have gotten this notion that poverty or being poor has some special sympathy with God. Like if you're poor monetarily, there's some special blessing from God. God's going to give you some special care in some kind of way or looks on that fondly in some kind of way because you, you have in Luke chapter 6 him saying, blessed be the poor. And he says, woe unto you rich. So you're like, okay, well, that almost sounds like God despises being wealthy or, or that there's some kind of special blessing for the poor. Or in Isaiah 61 where Jesus says, uh, 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 that he came specifically to give good tidings to the poor. Another thing that I was just reading recently, you don't have to go here, but in 1 Samuel chapter 2, he talks about uh, uh, how God raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes uh, uh, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. That's 1 Samuel 2.7. And you see verses like this, and man, he talks about the poor and them inheriting a throne of glory. But the thing is, none of these verses that I just referred to um, and the ones I read last week, are referring to monetary poverty. And, the, and we went through exactly why that is, so I'm not going to re-preach that. You have to listen to uh, uh, last, uh, the message we taught last time. Actually, it wasn't last week, but uh, the message, the last part of the series. All of that poverty is, and, and this is in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, instead of saying, blessed be the poor, it says, blessed be the poor in spirit. And instead of saying, you know, uh, woe unto you who are full, and blessed are those who hunger. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you realize this hunger is not talking about blessed are those who are physically hungry, but he's saying blessed are those who hunger after righteousness and, and don't have righteousness but desire from the Lord. And that is the truth. Blessed are those who realize that they don't have any righteousness, that they hunger for righteousness, but that they desire from the Lord. Because the only people that are going to receive righteousness from God and actually be blessed with that righteousness are those that are hungry for it, you know, I'm not saying we as believers are hungry for righteousness right now. We, we've been satiated right now, but you couldn't have been a believer unless you realized you had no righteousness of your own, but you hungered and thirsted after righteousness from the Lord. And that's what uh, Matthew chapter 5 clarifies, what kind of poverty and what kind of hunger he's actually speaking about. And instead of saying, blessed be the poor, he says, blessed be the poor in spirit. That means blessed those who realize that they are poor. And furthermore, we talked about how poverty from Isaiah 55 is defined in the Bible as those who realize that they can do nothing for God. They have no money or labor to spend for God. They come to God without, any, without offering him anything. And that is a truth. Blessed are those who realize that they are so poor that they can't offer anything to God. They come to God to receive from God by grace, like Brother Matt was just talking about. They come to God to receive by grace through what Jesus did, not offering anything for it. Because if you actually come to God, and say, hey, here, Lord, here's my tithe to be blessed. 
or here is my obedience to some Old Testament law in order to be saved, or because I'm circumcised, or because I am, you know, or, or I did this thing or that uh, particular tradition or law keeping, that I can be saved or I can be blessed by you. You know what that is? That's you not realizing that your works are poor because you're offering God something. Those that realize that are poor in spirit, that realize that they have nothing to offer God, don't try to offer things to God. And only those that don't offer things to God but receive it by the grace of Jesus through faith in him are actually blessed. And so believe that or not, if you, if you listen to last week's message, that's what we talked about and proved to you that blessed be the poor or the fact that Jesus only came to give good news to the poor is saying Jesus only came to preach the gospel to those that realize that they can do nothing for him because Jesus came to do everything for us. So it's suitable. If Jesus came to do everything on our behalf, it is suitable that only those who can do nothing for themselves receive it. If you can do something for yourself, you don't need Jesus in that particular area. Hence, you don't believe you're poor. You're not poor in your mind. Now, I do want to clarify this. Do not call yourself poor as a believer. Do not call yourself poor. Because although your works are poor, you are not left with merely your works anymore. See, if you were left with just your works, you'd be poor. And it's okay, even for me, I can say that my works apart from Christ are poor. That's okay to say. But you're not poor. Okay, you are not poor. You don't need to realize you're poor. Now you need to realize the riches you have in Christ. That's what we're doing here. That's what God's working on in our mind, is getting to know how rich we are in Christ. But again, it's in Christ because we were poor of ourselves. Okay, that's the poverty that the Bible speaks fondly of. And that's the only poverty that the Bible will ever speak fondly of, is those who are poor in spirit and realize that they can do nothing uh, apart from Jesus, right? Without him, we can do nothing. That's the only poverty the Bible will ever speak fondly of um, or that there is a particular blessing for of the poor in spirit, those that realize they can do nothing for God. So uh, we, we emphasize all of that, but uh, I just wanted to reemphasize that because if you see, and you know, a good verse for this, just, just to throw this out there too, uh, you can read Revelation 3.17, this, this just reiterates that whole poverty and riches thing. He talks about people that think that they're rich and they have need of nothing, but Jesus says, I know that you're poor and you're miserable and you're wretched and you're blind and you're naked. Now, obviously, poverty and riches in that particular verse in Revelation 3 is not talking about physical poverty and physical riches because if these people really thought that they were rich and, and, and uh, they had need of nothing and God looks at them and says, actually, you think you're rich, but you're really poor and blind and naked, were they really naked and blind and they didn't realize it? Were they physically naked and physically blind and physically poor and they didn't realize it? Because that's what that verse says, that there are people that think that they're rich, but God looks at them and says, uh, no, you, you, you are actually needy. You're actually blind. You're actually naked. And so you can see he, this is symbolic here. He's talking about symbolic poverty, and that's all through the Bible. So you got to really make sure, even when, you know, I'm not saying this is, a, this is total just observation. It's not even as far as opinion yet. But even I think about the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man was carried into uh, sort of a sect of the underworld where, you know, Old Testament saints used to go. And he was carried there by the angels. And then the rich man went uh, into hell. Um, and and that, that verse is in, um, eh, I don't have it written for you, but that, that's, that's, not the, that's not really a big deal right now. Um, but even when I think about that, I wonder the same thing. Because it starts changing the way you see it now. You're like, okay, see, Poor guy, good, rich guy, bad, right? Like, that's, that's what we sort of derive from parables like that. Oh, see, it's the poor that was saved, but the rich guy is the bad guy. All the while. So, yeah, I'm, anyway, just, just before I leave this parable here, right? 
I'm not saying anything about that parable in particular as far as interpretation, but it makes you wonder about that now, right? And all of this to say that, oh, you, you, you see the rich, woe unto those who are rich, and blessed are the poor, and because we misinterpret all these things, then we don't even receive verses like, it's the Lord that gives you the power to get wealth now. You see, like, we, we've seen all these verses, and I think that a lot of these verses, the misinterpretation of these verses, rather, is what has held the church back from actually delving into the inheritance that Jesus died to give them. And part of the, and again, remember, it, it's not wealth, as we've been through, but it's the power to get wealth. And with all of that said, it's actually these very verses that God intended to just simply talk about how you're poor by yourself and you can't do anything for me, so receive everything by grace and receive everything for free. We actually use them to talk about monetary poverty or monetary riches, which is not what God is talking about at all, as we went over last week. And we, we misinterpret these verses, then use them against the church, whether we're, we're thinking we're actually using it against the church or not, to hold people back or make people hesitant to say absolutely, concretely, put your foot down and know that this is my inheritance, that it is the power to get wealth, and God's will for no person on the face of, the earth, the, the, on the face of this earth is, almost like a little tongue twister there, on the face of this earth is to be poor. That's not God's will for anybody. Not a single person. God doesn't want a single person to be poor, and God wants every person to be wealthy. Here's the thing, though. God doesn't just choose who's poor and who's wealthy randomly, Okay. You need to, as with everything, right, you need to believe on what Jesus has done to receive what Jesus has done, right? Uh, we've been through that also in the past. So that shouldn't sound like anything new because that's how you got saved, right? So um, you do need to believe on the Lord to receive this. Nevertheless, it is God's will, though, that all people be wealthy. And no, wealthy doesn't mean having just your needs met. That's not what it means. If that's all that you'll ever preach to people as well, of course God wants to meet your needs. Of course he wants to meet your needs. I'm not saying he doesn't want to meet your needs, but it's not just to meet your needs, not in the way that you're saying it. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. We stop short of saying wealthy, even though God says wealthy in the Bible. Power to get wealth. The blessing of the Lord that makes a man rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it, or no sorrow with it. And you know, again, as I've been through this, that wealth, that the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich in Proverbs 10.22 is referring to physical riches there because it's only physical riches, Paul told Timothy, that comes with sorrow, typically. So God just said that he'll bless you and make you rich and just won't add that sorrow with it. I have to make mention of that for everybody that's just started listening right now. But you have the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich, power to get wealth. And it's like, no, he says rich and he's talking about excess, right? And on top of all the other verses we've been through in the past, and a lot of what prohibits or or hinders us from just, just, you know, wrapping our arms totally around that doctrine of power to get wealth. And yes, it doesn't just mean to meet my needs. It means to meet my needs and then an excessive amount after that because that empowers us to give. It empowers us to every good work. And instead of just, just going whole hog on the thing and just wrapping your arms around it and saying, this is something that Jesus provided me by his death of the cross. It makes us shy about it, at the very least, to where we won't even use words like wealth or riches because as pastors sometimes, I think that people don't want to be criticized for it because it's been taught wrong so frequently. And I am saying we do need, to, we need correction in that in the church, and we need to teach it correctly, as with everything. But nevertheless, we, we, we become hesitant because of a lot of it is because of misinterpretations of verses where poverty almost seems like a good thing in the Bible, the way we preach it, 
And being rich seems like a bad thing, even though like, it's contradictory because God says over here, uh, no, I'm going to make you wealthy. And God says, actually, when you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, I'm going to add all these things to you. I'll even clothe you better than Solomon. And even in Solomon's case, when Solomon didn't seek the riches, but just sought the Lord for his wisdom, when he set his mind on the kingdom and his righteousness to know that more, God says, I'm going to add all these things to you in a way that no other king in all of history has ever been made wealthy. Like, this is stuff God did to these people after they believed. And so with all that said, um, but I, I do want to bring you to, um, to Deuteronomy. So let me answer this question as briefly as I can. When it comes to all the problems in this world, this is going to be a little bit curtailed to people that have been with this church for a while. You'll still get something out of it regardless, but if you've been with this church for a while and you've heard the Chase Me series in particular and things of that nature, or Exit Earth, actually, if you read our Exit Earth article, this is going to make a lot more sense to you. Um, if you want to catch up on this, we have a quick read online called uh, Jesus Fixed Everything. That'll bring you up to speed a little bit, too. And that's, a very, very, that's like a two-minute little devotional. But here's what you know. Most Christians know this part. What came into this world through Adam? Romans 5.12 says, sin came into the world through Adam. It says, as sin came into the world through one man, it says, and death through sin, right? So sin and death are actually the only problems in this world. You may say, you may think that there are other problems beside those two things, but it's, it's just simply not true. In the Bible, uh, God created everything uh, in the beginning. It was perfect. And then the only two things that went wrong after that from a perfect creation was sin and death. The only two things that came into this world. Every single problem that you've ever been through in the past or this world is currently bound to is, can be classified under sin or under death. Things like wrong actions, wrong desires, wrong thoughts would be classified under sin, right? Things like health problems, things like aging, things like, you know, uh, hurt and pain, all that is classified under death, right? And the Bible does make mention of this. Paul even called his sufferings um, uh, when he was being persecuted and, you know, he was whipped and he was, you know, beaten and all that. He said, death works in us. That's actually uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think. Death works in us, he actually said. Uh, uh, also, things like, uh, um, because death actually means inactivity, which uh, translated sort of means like weakness, working in somebody until full weakness and full inactivity happens to a, 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 the body of a, of a human being, right, in the world. That's how that works. Now, because that's what it means, even like, Sarah's womb. The Bible will talk about the deadness of Sarah's womb. Instead of just saying that her womb had age or something, uh, or uh, in, in, involving uh, Abraham's reproductive system, instead of saying that it just didn't work or he had gotten old, it says that he was dead and Sarah's womb was dead. It says in the book of Romans. So death, it, that's why I say death, uh, the, 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 that classification, under that classification is hurt and pain and weakness and all those things and, you know, <laughs> It's funny. When someone says, oh, you know, the doctor diagnosed me with this or, or whatever, sometimes the doctor makes it sound. You've got to be very careful. It's okay to go to the doctor, but be very, very careful with what doctors tell you. Make sure that uh, they're being a help to you and just take the advice and then throw out all the stuff that's contrary to the gospel. Because they'll tell you a lot of different things, and they'll, they'll put names on things to make it sound like it's something different going on. You've got something rare. You've got, you've got this rare thing. That is the silliest thing that I've ever heard, that it's rare. Now it's the same stuff from Adam. Sin and death. It's one of the two things. It's not rare. You don't have a rare condition. You do not have a rare condition. 
Uh, if you're a believer, you have a very special condition called the glory of God, and you're transformed from glory to glory. That's the condition you are in as a believer. But even as far as your body is concerned, it's not rare, it's nothing surprising, and it's nothing that Jesus didn't already fix, and something that with just some mind renewal and maybe even some help with some, uh, some other believers, some prayer from other believers, uh, that in short order is not a problem, okay? It's not a problem. It's not rare. It's not special. It's not, oh, that's the bad thing. No, it's, it's, that's, that's not how that works. It's sin or it's death, and it's something that Jesus already did. Because if you'll notice, when Jesus came to this earth, what did he do? Every Christian knows this. What did he do? He died for our sins. If you ask any Christian, you can't be saved without knowing Jesus died for your sins. But do you see what you just said? What did he do? Died for my what? Sins. He took sin and died for it. What you just said, without realizing you just said it, is that Jesus fixed every single problem on the face of the earth. What you just said is Jesus overcame the world. All of it. That's why when you read about Jesus overcoming the world, well, what does that really mean, Pastor Frank? It means he stopped every single problem. That doesn't mean that you don't see it in the world still because we have to learn what Jesus did in order to receive what Jesus did, but he overcame it. And you are more than a conqueror now through him who loved you if you've believed on him. All that fixes on the inside of you for the only two problems that are in this world. You've got righteousness and life on the inside of you right now. Righteousness is, is something that includes like good thoughts and good actions and good desires. And then over here, you have life, which is, you know, that classification is stuff like immortality, not, not aging, forever youth, uh, you know, strength, um, uh, not growing tired. Uh, all of that is classified under life, strength just in general. That's life means activity or something that makes active. And so the Bible, for instance, it, Romans 5.12 says, talks about sin and death that came through Adam. Through the second Adam, Romans 8.10 talks about how the spirit is now life to us because of righteousness. Why does God mention that? Life because of righteousness. Because it's the opposite of everything that Adam started. It means that Jesus fixed all your problems, essentially. Okay. So let me, let me uh, there's more I could say about that. There's more that has been said about that already on our website. So without going too much further into that, everything is sin or is, or is death in this world. And everything in you is life and righteousness. Not a single thing, but life and righteousness on the inside of you. And just to answer a quick question is also as well, uh, you are also not in the process of corruption. Just if, if you've been with us for a while, you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from here. You are not in the process of death or in the process of corruption as a believer. That is not true. You, the process God assigns to you is a glory-to-glory thing. If you see corruption in your body, and even if you see a corruption progressing in your body, it is not because you are in the inevitable uh, process of corruption. Because you have glory that's coming out on the inside of you and increasing that is actually swallowing up that corruption as you believe. Okay? The only process that you should ever relate to as a believer okay, is not uh, sickness, is not disease, is not aging, is not any of that. It's glory to glory, okay? If anyone says a thing to you ever about aging or, or corruption or sickness or death, you throw it right back at them and say, actually, I've got the glory of God and I'm being transformed. That means my form is changing from one stage of glory to another stage of glory as I believe. You can have it if you want it. Now, as a believer, you can refuse that and not receive it. But if you want that, you can receive that as much as you want. There's no limitations. You want it, you can have it, physically speaking. You already have it inside of you, but if you want it, you can have it physically speaking, okay? You can shut that stuff down immediately. You are in the process of glory to glory as long as you continue in your faith steadfastly, okay? Period. That's how that works. All right. With all that said, you say, okay, where, what does all this have to do with riches or poverty? What classification is poverty under? 
sin or death, right? Like it, it, w- because you're saying that God doesn't like poverty, right? So which classification is it under? Well, it's not really poverty so much that is under one of those classifications. It's lack of power to get wealth is under one of those classifications, all right? Power, power to get, not wealth, remember, because God has given us the power, and then that adds the wealth, but that power to get wealth is under the life classification, as you probably would have guessed if you've been with the church for a while. The power to get wealth, the power of God, um, is under the life category. There's righteousness, and there's life. Righteousness is sort of the moral good, the moral good that God's given you. Life is the power to activity. Okay, That's what life means, power to activity in the Bible. Sin is the moral bad, and death is its consequence, which is the, the, the degradation unto inactivity. Okay? A sapping of power until you are completely powerless, which is this you know, final sort of stage of death, which is also not a problem for God, uh, when someone is deceased. Okay? So power to get wealth is under the life category. Uh, and not poverty, but lack of power to get wealth is under the death category, because death actually, by definition, alludes to lack of power, okay? Again, you can even go on our glossary and look up dead and alive and see on our Bible glossary um, on our website, and it'll actually define those words a little better for you, and you can listen to our Exit Earth article for more on that as well. Let me read you some stuff. I want to kind of wrap up on this quick, just in case uh, the Lord wants to say something after this. So um, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. And just show you that poverty, again, poverty is a bad thing. God doesn't want poverty for anybody. And in Deuteronomy, there's a lot I could say about this. Uh, Deuteronomy is not a book about the old covenant. Deuteronomy is a prophecy of the new covenant, actually. A lot of people think that Deuteronomy is just a reiteration of the Old Testament law. That's not true. It is actually a prophecy of the New Testament law. Um, Lots of material online about that. But that is the case. But the curses of Deuteronomy, specifically... The curses of Deuteronomy that he mentions there are curses for not keeping the Old Testament law. That may seem, sound confusing, so just, uh, just stay with me on this. The curses that are named in Deuteronomy, according to what Paul says in Galatians, are referring to the curses of not keeping the Old Testament law. Okay, That's what, that's what it is referring to. If you have a question about that, you can ask me after service, because uh, there is an answer for that. Um, here are the curses. Now, we know curse, right? I may not know the the uh, biblical full-on definition of the word curse, but I think fair to say that curse is bad, right? If someone's cursed by God, bad thing, right? That's okay. We can, just, we can roll with just that knowledge right now. Curse is a bad thing, right? And if God curses someone with something, is that him trying to do a good thing for them? Or is that God trying to bring evil upon them because of maybe in the Old Testament, for instance, someone did something evil? Now, this is not the way it works in the New Testament anymore, and we always need to reiterate that to people when you're talking about curse and punishment. Make mention, hey, that's an Old Testament thing. Never, you know, if you're reading a verse or talking, just make sure that's, that's made known. But it is true. God used to use certain things as curses when people screwed up under the law. That's the way it used to work. Here are some of those curses that God sees as bad things that he would bring upon people that did bad things. All right? Deuteronomy 28, verse 30. He says, You shall betroth the wife, and another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, and you will not dwell therein. You will plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather the grapes. 
uh, the ox shall be slain before your eyes, and sh you shall not uh, eat thereof. And your ass shall be violently taken away from before your face, which that sounds pretty bad, right? That sounds terrible. Uh, and shall not be restored to you. That's probably the worst of all these curses right here, right? That's terrible. Uh, the, 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 the sheep, uh, your sheep shall be given unto your enemies, and you shall have none to rescue them. Uh, it's going to take a little bit for me to get that out of my head. Verse 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given unto another people, and your eye, watch this. So he's talking about all these things. You'll do the work, but you're not going to get the wealth out of it. Uh, uh, again, all the things he just named. You're not actually going to be able to possess these things. You're not going to be able to hold on to any of these things. You'll put the work in, but no wealth, no profit's going to come from it. Right? He is talking about being impoverished here. That is what he's referring to. And he will actually name it even more specifically later on. He's talking about how they would be impoverished. These, remember, these are curses, not blessings. These are curses. Being impoverished is something that God used for a curse. Now, if someone's poor today, it's not because God is cursing them. All right? the, Jesus took the curse of the law, as Galatians says. Jesus became the curse of the law for us. God is not cursing anybody under any circumstances today or forever even though you may have some questions about end-time judgment, which we do believe there's an end-time judgment, but God is not cursing anyone today or forever for their sin ever again. The last time someone was cursed for sin, he was hanging on the cross. Last time. It's done. God has no enmity toward people anymore. If you're an enemy of God, it's because you make yourself an enemy of God, not because he's your enemy. That's, the enmity is on your end then, that you don't like God, but it's not because God don't like you, and it's not because God is judging you. Okay? Perfect peace. He's made with the whole world. Doesn't mean they receive it, doesn't mean they receive it, but God's made perfect peace with the whole world, all right? So these are Old Testament curses that he's naming. But why am I pointing out that they're a curse? Because that means it's a bad thing, right? Being impoverished is a bad thing. God has never, in all of Scripture, used poverty towards someone as a good thing. Not, there's not one single verse. Now, again, we've given some clarifications on some misinterpreted verses last week about poverty and how God talks about poverty and how those need to be poor in spirit. But we clarified from Scripture, right, not my opinion, from Scripture that that poverty is not talking about monetary poverty. And the Bible specifically says, hunger and thirst after righteousness, poor in spirit, right, so that you know he's not talking about monetary poverty. When it comes to monetary poverty, God has never and will never ever use poverty as a means to bring about something good in your life, ever. It was used as a curse. And anything that God uses as a curse you can sort of de deduct from that, it's not a blessing. And I'll prove to you that it's not a blessing from here anyway, because you just keep reading Deuteronomy and he'll say it for himself. It's not a blessing. It was used as a curse. Now, notice how I keep saying it was used as a curse, because I'm not saying it is a curse from God. God doesn't use poverty as a curse anymore or ever again. But if it was used as a curse, it must be because God has a negative opinion about poverty. Now, as I said last week, poverty is not a moral wrong, but it is a negative thing. That's what I mean by poverty is a bad thing. I don't mean it's morally bad, but like if a natural disaster comes through a place and tears the place apart, you would say that's a bad thing. But you don't mean it's morally bad on the, on the part of the people. You mean it's just a negative thing that happened, right? That's what I mean by saying poverty is bad. Not that someone is doing something morally wrong by being poor, but it's bad and evil in the sense that it is negative, and God would not wish that on anybody. Doesn't wish that on anybody. Okay? Never has God ever used poverty as a blessing. And you know, this actually, a few services ago, we had to edit up the message a little bit because some people had a, a, a verbal issue with what I was saying during the message, right? Uh, this is going back a few weeks ago. That's what he had a problem with, too, was when I said, God does not give both riches and poverty. He said, oh, well, God can do anything. But you see, what we're doing is, 
We have no regard for Scripture and what God himself says that he will or will not do. The God-can-do-anything thing has no regard. It is completely immature and uneducated scripturally. It has no spiritual discernment to it. It's just God can do anything because I make assumptions. Even though God in Scripture says, I think poverty it can be used as a curse and wealth can be used, at, you know, power to it, as a blessing. Okay? Like we have no regard for what God calls good or evil, and I will do this and I won't do this. There are things God says he will never do. For instance, he said, I will never be angry with you ever again in, in Isaiah 54. He said, neither will I rebuke you. If you want to throw an immature, uneducated, well, God can do anything, you have failed, utterly failed to discern God and his nature from Scripture. He said he would never do it. Therefore, you can't say, well, God is doing that over here. And if the Bible says that poverty, or rather, it's better said, I keep saying poverty, but you get what I'm saying, lack of power to get wealth, not being empowered by God to get wealth, is used as a curse and is never used as a blessing in all of Scripture, you can't flip that around when God himself, who you're trying to defend, says, I'll never do that as a blessing. I consider that to be something I would use as a curse, and this is something I consider to be a blessing. All right, so that we have, and on top of all this, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So let's put it all together. If the Bible says that lack of power to get wealth is something he used as a curse under the law, and then Galatians said that Jesus became the curse for us, and in Colossians it said that he became the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that's talking about the curse of the law, Jesus became it for us to redeem us from the curse of the law, the God can do anything thing doesn't hold any water when you're trying to accuse God of maybe he's making people poor today. That's not, God is not cursing people with poverty today. He is not doing that. And even when he was doing that under the law, the Bible specifically says that he did not do it willingly. There are reasons why people, people chose to be under that kind of law where God would punish them. You may not believe that. It was their decision to be under the law. God never wanted to give the law. And if he did, why wouldn't he have started doing it after Adam sinned? Why would he wait thousands of years before the time of Moses came around to give the law? Because it was never his intention from the beginning, and people wanted to be under that kind of covenant. Believe that or not, that's what the Bible says. Do a whole nother teaching on that. So with all that said, it says that, talks about this poverty of you're going to do all this work and you're not going to be able to retain the wealth. Now look at this. I'll actually even throw out there, he actually even talks about your wife and your children, and um, there's actually something to this that, that, um, even physical relationships, I actually believe, are included in the power to get wealth. And God adding all these things to you, physical relationships that you need, uh, be it wife or you want children, uh, is included in the power to get wealth. Because Phys it's a physical thing. It's a physical relationship, okay? That's what you'll notice even when Job was deprived by Satan, by Satan, by Satan, by Satan, by Satan, not God, by Satan, when Job was deprived of all of his wealth, he also took away all his children. Didn't take away his wife, but I've heard rumors about why that happened because I think the wife was more of a curse to Job than a blessing. So the devil was like, I'll just leave her because that's, that's <laughs> that would have been maybe too much of a good thing maybe for Job to have taken his wife out. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a joke about that also. Uh, but anyway, uh, when his wealth was restored, God also gave him double the amount of children as well um, at the end of all this. So, um, and maybe God converted his wife or something too. That would have been nice. Um, but so he does talk about all this wealth, but it includes even wife and children and, and all that stuff. 
And he says, look at verse 32. Your sons and your daughters shall be given unto another people. You see, that's what I'm referring to. Your sons and your daughters, like all your physical, um, um, I don't want to call people wealth exactly, but your physical possessions of some kind of some kind will be taken away from you. He used that as a curse here. And then he says, and, and uh, uh, your eyes will look and fail with longing for them all day long. Watch this. And there shall be no might in your hand. You see, it's the lack of power to get wealth that was missing. It's the power that was missing. God said, I will remove my power from you to get wealth. You will look on these things and there will be no might in your hand to retain them. You see that? Lack of power to get wealth. So it's what is used as a curse here under the law? Under the law, only under the law, no more. From God, he used to use this as a curse under the covenant that people wanted to be under that they would have no might in their hand to retain wealth. He goes on after that, in verse uh, 38, he, he keeps talking about how, you know, you're, ga- you're going to gather, um, sorry, you're going to go into the field, but you're going to gather a little in, and you can read this all on your own time. In verse 44, uh, or rather 43, verse 43, it says, the stranger that is within you shall get above you very high, and you shall come down very low. He's actually talking about financially there, because in verse 44, he says, he shall lend to you, you shall not lend to him. In other words, you're not going to have enough for yourself, you're going to have to borrow from other people, and they're going to lend to you, but you're not going to have enough to lend to other people. So this is all talking about them being impoverished, but specifically what was a curse under the law was not having any might in your hand to get wealth. You won't be able to lend to other people because you don't have an excess, because that's what happens, right? When you don't have an excess, you can't give. You can't even lend. You can't do business, even in that sense, because you don't have an excess. You're barely trying to scrape by for yourself. And yet we, we think it's something you know, morally good or something to be impoverished. I mean, you can't even give when you're morally impoverished, which we know God's will is for us to be able to give. And not just to be able to give, but just the good works that God wants to do in your own life. That needs money too. How are we doing these good works? How are we going to spend the gas to, to drive somewhere to, or, or, or the rent to have a ministry? Or how are we going to have the money to be able to give to somebody if we're being impoverished over here, right? So all that aside, he talks about being impoverished and not having any might in their hand to get this wealth. And you can see that God used that as a curse. Um, if you look at Deuteronomy 28, um, 11, so same chapter, but verse 11, this is just before what we read. It actually says as a blessing, these are the blessings, okay, of believing in Jesus. The blessings of believing in Jesus. In verse 11, it says the Lord will make you plenteous in goods. Plenteous is obviously what we've been talking about. That's, that's, that's excess in the fruit of your body. The, see, even he mentioned the fruit of your body, right? It's children. That's part of power to get wealth. I really believe that. I really believe that. Again, you can, I, I, I'm sort of hedging that slightly, but I, I, I probably don't even need to do that. Uh, believe that that's power to, Part of power to get wealth, fruit of your body, fruit of your cattle, fruit of your ground, and the land which God swore to, uh, uh, to your fathers to give you. Verse 12, the Lord will open up his good treasure, the heaven to give you rain into his, uh, in, in his season, and to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend unto many nations. You shall not borrow. That means you have an excess of wealth even to lend for business reasons to other people, and they pay you back instead of you having to borrow from somebody else and pay them back, right? All this stuff. There's so many benefits to these, this, this part of the inheritance that the Lord has given us, but we know even from Deuteronomy chapter 8, the blessing is the power to get wealth, and the curse that he used under the law, that he used under the law, was lack of power. He would remove his power from them to retain wealth. You, you can see that, so that's why I say, the only problems in this world are sin and death. Um, poverty isn't under the death category, but lack of power, weakness, is a part of that, is under death. It's something that came in through Adam and is used even as a curse under the law. And power to get wealth is under the life category. 
So when you see that the Spirit is life to you because of righteousness, part of that life, that power that he's producing through you is power to get well. Okay, so I just want to make sure that all that is, is understood. Um, and let's just look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Now he looks back on all the blessings and the curses, right? The blessings, namely being you being plenteous and good because God will give you the power to get wealth. The curses, namely being you'll have no might in your hand anymore to retain wealth, right? That is a curse. God. So, so all in all, you understand, right? I'm trying to show that what does God think is good? Because we put, try to pull this stuff too, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually try to wrap up right here just in case the Lord wants to do something after this uh, with the few minutes that we have. But... When you look at these things, though, because people try to pull this, too. Oh, no, Pastor Mike, I understand God. All, every good gift is from God, Pastor Mike, right? Every good gift is from God. Every good and every perfect gift. How do you know, though, really what's good? Maybe God would do this for, because there's some good in the end or something. God would make you poor. Or God would take this away. Or like someone told us when our furnace broke down is because, uh, oh, may God broke your furnace down for this reason, right? Like, because it's the God can do everything thing, so it's just like everything's up for grabs, right? There's no order, like God, as if God has never made any promises that he wouldn't do certain things and will do others, right? Like it, it rattles my brain, the God can do anything thing. It's a, it, again, it's the most uneducated thing that you can possibly say about God because even the unsaved, the Bible says, from creation can know of God's power. That means you don't even have to be saved to say God's a powerful guy. It's the most uneducated thing you can actually possibly say, spiritually speaking is to say, well, I know God's powerful. The most You have no spiritual discernment just by saying that. There are things God has promised he would do. There are covenants that God has made, and it's impossible, impossible, meaning God is not able to lie. And if you don't like the not able to, then just check up on your Greek on that word impossible. It's the word able with a negation on it. It means he's not able to do certain things, like lie, like break his covenant, like do any unrighteousness, Okay. So the God can do anything doesn't fly. And even if you were to say, oh, no, no, I know God will only ever give good things to us, but maybe this is good, though. Maybe this is a good thing, because that's, that's the next step for the devil to do, is to convince you that, yeah, to distort something like every good and every perfect gift comes from God above, and then we're all excited about it. Well, that's awesome. I can actually trust in God. I can actually confide in him and trust that he's not going to break my furnace down, right? Like, wow, thank you, Lord. And then the devil comes around and says, but what if that breaking your furnace down, what if that sapping of this wealth, what if that loss of a job, what if, what if that's a good thing, though, for you? What if a little bit of poverty here, what about a little bit of neglect here, maybe that's actually a good thing in the end? So then let's just, let's just go over it then. It shouldn't be confusing, seeing as we have the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. What does God call good? What does he call bad? That should be pretty easy. you got a whole 66 books to look through to get an idea of what he calls good and what he calls bad. We should already know from just what we just read, not having the power to retain wealth is a bad thing. Not morally, but it is a negative thing. When God uses something as a curse for people that do moral wrong, it's like saying, does the United States think that prison is good or bad? Well, if you use it for people that do bad stuff, they probably think it's a negative. If something's used as punishment by God, he don't think it's a good thing. Otherwise, he'd be rewarding those that did moral wrongs. <laughs> you understand? It was used as a curse to not have the power to get wealth. And if you, you wanted further confirmation, Deuteronomy 30, 15, as you guys have probably been looking at behind me this whole time, 
the punchline behind me. See, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. That's confirmation of a few things. One, that the power to get wealth is under the life category. So when the Bible says the Spirit is life to you because of righteousness, you know he's also including that, the power to get wealth, because God classifies uh, the ability to get wealth so much so that you can even lend to other people and you have no reason to borrow as under the life category. It's under the life category. Adam only gave us sin and death, and Jesus only gave us life and righteousness. So it's important to understand that power to wealth is included under the life category because he just looked back on all the blessings and curses that he just named and said, that category over here, this lump, that's life. For everybody, for all of us, and listen, God loves you. God so much loves you, and, and I, I'm growing in my patience as well. I'm growing in my patience to be patient with people, even if you don't get it, because it, it's just some people don't understand this as plain as this is in Scripture. Life, he's like, this is all life, and this is all good. That, uh, excuse me, and this is all evil. Jesus, I'm confusing myself. This is all life, and this is death. This is good, and this is evil. And so it shouldn't be hard for us to, to see. If he says, I've set before you life and good, and death and evil, he's categorizing power to get wealth as a good thing, so we don't have to question it. And that's also under the life category. And being impoverished, not having the power to retain wealth, is under the death category, not having the power specifically, and God calls it evil. Verse 19 says, I call, to he I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. The power to get wealth, you know what God calls that? Being plenteous in goods because he's given you the power to get it? That's a blessing. That's a blessing. God will never make you poor as a blessing, as a good thing. Never. It will never happen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. If you'd like to support Reformed Church, you can do so at reforminus.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.